Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. be intentional about warming our hands and our heart around these themes because it's important that we mine everything from this that we possibly can because I believe that the Spirit of the Lord will speak something very expressly to us. Amen. I appreciate everybody that is uh, that is on a part of this team that teaches this class and ask the Lord to touch them and anoint them. For the last couple of months, I've been out um, in our youth class and having a good time with them. And I know that they are just woefully missing me today. I heard their moans and, and the cries when I, they were reaching for me when I went past the door. And, and uh, But uh, something in my mind, it lets how it was in my mind. I, I may not have all those details exactly right, but it was something like that. But we had a great time, and I want to thank, I wanna thank uh, all of those involved for allowing me to invest those, those several weeks with them and in their lives, and I am confident beyond all doubt that we are going to see some wonderful seed come from that. Seed's been planted in something wonderful that will come from that. And uh, thank you, for your parents, for allowing me to invest in them and, and to build a bridge into their life. And that's a bridge we want to maintain. Amen. I want, I want that bridge to be maintained. And I realize that I lost the cool factor a long time ago. If, in fact, I ever had it, but I lost the cool factor a long time ago. But uh, I hope we can build a bridge that whenever I walk in the room, they don't just disperse. Because that's how, it, that's how it is sometimes. And, uh, and you're viewed as the principal more than anything else. And, uh, but we've had a good time, and I, I, am, uh, I enjoyed my time with them, and, and I'm looking forward to today. We're going to, uh, we're going to be talking about something this morning, Brother Wayne Williams gave us our focus for uh, for today, and uh, we're going to an age-old story. And there's a little bit of a challenge with that because sometimes people can think, well, you know, we've already got all the flesh off of the bone of this particular story. But I believe God can touch all of us. He can anoint my mind and my heart with a fresh touch and anoint your eyes and ears with a fresh touch. And I believe the Lord will speak to us today. I'm going to turn your attention to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we're going to begin reading at verse number 1. We're happy to have all of you here today. We're very excited to have Brother and Sister McGuire with us from Lakeland, and we don't take for granted that they carved some time out of their schedule to be here with us. They have a church family at home that I'm sure is missing them. I know that because I got a few text messages from, from their church family that said, we can't believe you stole our pastor from us this week. So I know... 
I don't know how much they paid those people to send those text messages, but we are nevertheless thankful that they're with us today. And uh, we do know they leave a void when they're not there. The book of 1 Corinthians 13 and 1, the Bible says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. And so that one missing element, that one missing word is a powerful thing in our lives. If we don't have the spirit of love for God to just touch us and baptize our minds and our motives and our hearts and and our actions with that spirit of charity because if we don't have that, it just devalues everything else that we would ever possess in our life. Someone once said, love is not love until you give it away. And there is a lot of truth to that, so much truth to that because we have to give it away and we have to invest into the lives of others. We're going to center our, our minds today around the story of, of the Good Samaritan. It's a, it's a story as ancient as days and many of you have heard it many times. But I will tell you this morning that, that sometimes in the, in the process of ministry, you help those and uh, you invest in people's lives, whether that is time, effort, energy, uh, at times it's a literal investment of, of finances and things of that nature and and we all love it when we can see a return on our investment we just really enjoy those seasons where you see a return but ministry doesn't always work that way you may the Bible talks about casting your bread upon the water and you sometimes don't have any idea where that seed is going to come up I think from time to time the Lord does allow, uh, I think the Lord does allow us to, to see some seed that maybe didn't spring up in our own local assembly. We see the good of that seed springing up somewhere else and we can, not pridefully, but we can very humbly and thankfully take, uh, take God's word and say, Lord, I'm so thankful that I gave that Bible study. I'm so glad I took some time out of my life. But I will just tell you this. That irrespective of whether we see that local church have seed that springs up in it or whether or not we see that one, we find out one day somebody that we gave a Bible study to is now an international evangelist. Irrespective of whether that happens, the Bible says, Jesus said, when you've done it unto these, the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. And so we, there is no such thing as wasted time Wasted effort, wasted energy, wasted finance because we've done it unto the Lord. And what people do with that is going to be between them and the Lord. How we respond to what we did is going to be between us and the Lord. And we just have to say, Lord, you know. And we're going to do our very, very best. It would be the enemy's pleasure for him to get us in a headlock and say, oh, I wouldn't do that because remember last time. I wouldn't do that again because remember how it all worked out last time. You know, many times if I could be uh, a little transparent here today, sometimes when you're preparing a message, um, it, you know, just depending on maybe the, the thought of that, 
you can almost begin to envision how people are going to respond to that. I, I hope this makes sense. I've kind of slid out here on some thin eyes. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, you know, when you're preparing something, you're, you're just kind of going over this in your mind. Uh, I prepare a message and, and then um, always I call it, I just comb back through it several times just trying to change the wording of this or wording of that and fret over this trying to make sure it's going to be said just right. And uh, in the process of that, you can kind of generate in your mind how you think maybe sometimes people will respond to that. And uh, there have been sometimes <laughs> my thought, there have been sometimes the audience actions or reactions didn't quite match my thoughts. And there have been times that I wrote in my notes, pause right here to let everybody collect themselves and and I really didn't need to do that, come to find out in the end, because they, they never lost their thought. <laughs> Just, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm teasing a, a little bit. There are times we can minister and we think this is how it's going to, the outcome. That's my point. And I didn't try to get you to lower your guard so I could punch you in the nose, but it's the truth. That sometimes we do things and irrespective of how pure we think our hearts are, we sort of think this will be the outcome. And sometimes it is the outcome. And we rejoice in that. Sometimes that's not the outcome. But the plea of the scripture is cast your seed, the bread on the water. And so we just cast it, not knowing where it may land or whose heart it may touch and Sometimes it may not even be that person that you're witnessing to that winds up benefiting the most from that. They may share something with someone else and that be the person that seed germinates in their heart. And so with that said, we're going to this age-old story found in Luke chapter 10 of a certain man that went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's how the story begins. A certain man. He is nameless, faceless. We know nothing about who this man is, amid the things that we don't know about this man that really at the end of the day is not important. Let's consider what we do know. And I believe there is a little more meat left on the bones of this story. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was, uh, was historically a very dangerous path. There were a lot of people that traveled that road. And uh, a lot of temple workers that used it. And so it might be a high traffic area that we might think of in those terms in, in this day. Most of us can probably think of excuses why uh, the priest or the Levite ignored the victim. I know we've, we've hung them high from pretty high limbs through the years. But th there may have been something legitimate in their lives that were going on that uh, prevented them from exactly stepping in into that situation. The priest had been serving God at the temple all week and, and maybe there were pressing issues that caused him to not pause. And so before we judge him too high, we may need to consider that. There's obviously a chance that, that other bandits, the people who did this, could have just been lurking in the way, maybe waiting for somebody to come by and rob them and beat them again. And so there could have been a legitimate sense of danger, an absolute sense of danger. And, uh, you know, he could have formed many common opinions that you and I, 
in given that same scenario may consider ourselves, should I really take a chance here? Is this worth it? It's not my fault that this man was attacked or, or maybe he thought this, you know, somebody else, there's a lot of people on this road, somebody else will stop and they'll take care of that. We have perhaps many of us, many if not all of us, have been at some point on a busy highway and we have come up on an automobile accident or perhaps we have watched one unfold in front of us and we've had to make split decisions about are we going to stop and help or we have looked around and there were plenty of people, other, other people there that maybe could take care of that. Does that make sense? Amen. And depending on the situation, we're making split-second judgments. You don't know whether or not to get involved or not get involved. And so this is what we know. We, know we just kind of read the end of the story, and it's really easy then for us to judge their actions at the end of the story. It would be like kind of reading our life without emotions and without inflections, and, and we're just reading our lives on a blank piece of paper, just ink and page. It would be pretty bland. It would be really easy for somebody to judge us for this or that without knowing all the backdrop of the story. This is what we know, that the priest left the Levite, left it to the Levite, rather, and that the Levite did exactly what the priest did, and that was nothing. At the end of the day, it was certainly a bad example for how religious people should have handled this situation. And so here is Jesus that talks about now this Samaritan. And these are not random words. This is not a, just a, a people or names that are just plucked out of the sky because Jesus is really driving a point home. And so when he used a Samaritan as a hero, he completely disarmed the Jews. Jesus always knew his audience and he always knew where he was going. He knew where to start, and he certainly knew where he was going to finish. The Jews and the Samaritans were enemies, and, and uh, so this was a Samaritan helping a Jew who had been ignored by fellow Jews. The Samaritan loved those who hated him. The Samaritan risked his own life and limb. The Samaritan spent his own money, which would have been equivalent to two days' wages. And as far as we know, he was never rewarded for that. He just invested into something and went on his way. What the Samaritan really did was help us better understand how to show mercy. I don't know about you. I don't know your particular story. But I know that all of us at some point have needed various measures of mercy. Just mercy. This is not about guilt or innocence. This is not about whether I made the right decision or the wrong decision. Now I'm standing in the ash pile of a poor decision and I just need mercy, mercy. Amen, I've been very thankful through the years whenever I've made decisions that didn't just always pan out that I found mercy in the voice of my companion who said, you know, it could have been me. This was a decision that I could have made also. I was so thankful to find mercy when I needed mercy. I remember my wife one time had an accident and a rainstorm had come up from nowhere and she was over in Gainesville and 
and uh, the, it had been a long, long dry season and just a real light rain came just long enough to make all that oil come to the surface and, and the roads were slick and she slid into the back of someone and she called me crying and I know that I don't want you to take this wrong. This is not the level of relationship she had, but we have. But, but she kept crying and saying, please forgive me. Please forgive me. As though I weren't going to let her come home or something. You know, just please forgive me. And I just kept saying, this could have been me. It, it could have been me. I could have been the one that said, no, you stay home. I'll run over there and I'll pick up. And I would have been in the, rain the same rainstorm and on the same slippery road. And so how would you want somebody else to handle it? You know, it's like the guy said, this is not rocket surgery. <laughs> Delayed reaction. <laughs> Delayed reaction. This is not rocket surgery. It's just how would you like someone to treat you? What would you want to, for someone to do to you, for you, in this same instance? Because you see, in just a few moments, tomorrow or the next day or next year, it could be us. It could be us. As I said Wednesday night, we should never, ever get so high and mighty that we think that any situation we see going on in the world, that couldn't be me. That somehow we are just living in this, you know, in this bubble-protected world that that it's not going to happen in our family and this won't happen on our doorstep. I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people that are sitting in courtrooms. There's a lot of people that are in jail houses and there's a lot of people that are in hospital rooms and Mayo Clinic with death sentences hanging over their life that said, we never saw this coming. So we could find ourselves right there. We're, we don't have an exempt card and so we just need to say, Lord, help me to have mercy. I want to give out as much mercy as I can because you don't ever know at what moment you're going to need some of that mercy to flow back into your life. And I think this so clearly illustrates the ministry of, of Jesus Christ. The Samaritan identified with the needs of the stranger and, and ultimately he had compassion on him. I, uh, <clears throat> through the years, said, you know, that, that, certain, that people in certain fields of labor have really got to be able to keep their head screwed on straight. You take a lifeguard, for example. I mean, a lifeguard has not only got to know how to swim. They not only know have to know how to have the skill set to save their life and then the life of somebody else that's, when they reach them, that's probably trying to drown them as well, just in a frantic in a frantic fit. So they've got to have a lot of skills physically. They've got to be physically fit. They've got to know what they're doing. But I'll tell you another thing they've got to have is a level head. You don't need to swim out to a drowning victim and ask them why they swam past the rope. You don't need to ask them at that moment, why did you swim past? At that moment, it doesn't matter why they're there. It doesn't matter why they ignored the rip current tides. It, it, it signs. It doesn't matter why all of these things were ignored. That's not your job, sir. We didn't hire you as a judge. We didn't ask you to come here and be the jury. We asked you to sit on that seat. And when you see someone in distress, get to them as quickly as you you can and do everything that you can to save their lives that is the priority of love and that is the topic of what we're talking about it's not why somebody's there or how they wound up there at the end of the day the fact is that they are there and they need someone to love them and not judge them and condemn them and not not shred them and rip them and make them feel worse about their situation than they already feel he identified the needs he had compassion 
no logical reason really why he should rearrange his plans, no no logical reason why he should say, you know, let me get down off my beast and you can ride on the beast. No, no logical reason why he should spend his own money to do this. This was an enemy, by the way. Amen. He, he had no reason to do this, but mercy doesn't need reasons. Compassion doesn't need an excuse. Compassion doesn't need an explanation. It's just that you're here. and Let me bind up these wounds. Let somebody help us. Jesus simply stated that he had compassion and apparently compassion was just a part of his character. His compassionate nature prompted him to do several things. He chose a path of inconvenience. He chose a path of self-sacrifice. He chose a path of financial loss. He chose a path of extreme care for someone else. The telling of this story of the Good Samaritan is not a random story. It's not just a feel-good story told by a man called Jesus. It was the accounting of an unfortunate loss. And it was the accounting of untold pain. And it was the response of selfish religion, uh, religious versus uh, that selfless humanity. Selfless religion versus selfless humanity. I'm going to give of myself and we're going to do whatever it takes. Amen. That was the answer. We must do whatever it takes. The all-important question that led up to all of this is in Luke 29, 10 to 29. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? The, the attorney, the lawyer asked. Jesus had been pro- approached by a man that was so desperately trying to just justify himself. So in answering Jesus' question about the great commandment, Amen. The man had, had included the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. And then in what may seem like some apparent attempt to, to put limitations on who we're going to love or who we're going to call our neighbor, who's going to be allowed into this group, he asked, who is my neighbor? And so in, in response to that, Jesus, he demonstrated that to be fully obedient to the law meant to be fully obedient to his nature, which is love. And love just really knows no end. And so if we're going to be true to the law, or then we have to be true to the nature of the giver of the law. And we have to invest ourselves without saying, well, I wonder what this is going to cost, or I wonder how much this is going to be. You know, no one, if you could calculate the exact cost of what it will take to to have a, a child, for instance, if you were able to just somehow calculate the cost of what it would take to have a child. I'm not just talking about, you know, the delivery room. I'm not just talking about those initial costs, but what, what would it cost if someone were that analytical to try to figure out the average cost? You may talk yourself out of that. And if you're just only operating with just intellect, if you're just approaching this from a mere academic point of view, then you could say we don't have the money to do that. But when love is involved, it doesn't really matter how long it takes with homework. 
When love is involved, it really doesn't matter how many times we have to go back over the same issues because we realize that we are investing in something that's going to outlive us. We're investing into a new generation. Uh, you know, I'll tell you that right now, at this very moment in our children's ministry and in our youth classes, there are people that are making investments into lives of young people. And can I tell you, it's worth whatever it costs. It's worth whatever it costs. <clears throat> I mentioned this Wednesday night, but the prior, uh, the prior Wednesday night, Brother Rayleigh had mentioned the article about uh, the church that had asked all of their uh, older people, I think 60 and above, to leave the church for a couple of years so that they could get the church uh, you know, back on, on its feet. And then and the next week there was another article about where uh, another church had asked all the children, all the young people, everybody to leave that had young people. And, and, uh, and I think, my Lord, what a tragedy that would be um, to... <laughs> Amen. You know, children, are they, they just come blazing through here sometimes. They don't know to say pardon me and excuse me and, and knock your pocketbook out of your hand and those $100 bills just go everywhere. <laughs> we'll help you get all those cleaned up, most of them, and most of them back to you. <laughs> and uh, But you know what? That's our future. That's our, and I'm not saying that we just let them just you know, run like there's nothing. But I'm going to tell you, if they step on the hedge and break it, there's a nursery that'll sell us another one. If they, if they, if, if they tear something, that's all right. We'll fix that. You know why? Because we need a future. We need a future. So what is that? It's love. It's love that says we'll take care of that. We're, we don't want them to dismantle the place. I think you understand what I'm talking about. Amen. We, we need that voice of our seniors. We need, we need your stability. We need the fact that when something comes along and rocks the boat, you don't even bat an eye. Amen. I was talking to an elder just a few weeks ago, and we were talking about a particular situation, and his opening comment, his opening comment, brought such peace and comfort. And he said, I have seen all this before. Amen. I have, I have watched this happen before. I've already been here. I found peace and solace in that. What he was trying to say is I have been, I've watched all of this unfold and I'm still here. I'm still alive. I still have breath. I still love the Lord. I'm still serving him. We need those voices when the ship starts rocking and even taking on water. We need somebody to just say, hey, we've been here before. We've done this before. But you know what? Hey, man, we got our hand in the hand of the one that's really got his hand on all of this. It's all going to be all right. It's all going to be all right. Amen. And so I said all of that, as I said Wednesday, today, as I said Wednesday night, we need all of us here. Amen. We need those silver hairs. We need that wrinkled brow. We need those young people. We need them. Amen. When they falter and fail, we're going to do everything we can to stabilize them because love, love, love would just keep reaching and keep investing. Amen. Love. And so we need to look at this. The Bible talks about his, he demonstrated, the Lord is demonstrating in this story uh, that, that we really don't just need a lot of religious activity. We just need love. I mean, we can't just have a lot of religious activity in the absence of love, not taken away from what we're doing here, but I believe that that is the hallmark or that is the, uh, the DNA, as our lead-in video said today, of discipleship. Amen, that priority of love. 
comparing the priest and the Levite to this lowly Samaritan, what Jesus was really doing was he was just shattering all the stereotypes. He was just stepping into the day and he just said, there's a new sheriff in town. There is a new sheriff in town. And so his Jewish audience, Jesus' message could not have been more clear. To be a true disciple and a follower of the Lord, we have to have compassion, we must be merciful, and we have to place other people above ourselves. That is true disciples. Without it, neither title nor religious feelings, nothing that we do is going to fulfill the ultimate demand of the law of God and that nature of the lawgiver and that bottom line is just love. Love is such a broad, powerful subject. I would never be able to talk about love in its entirety. The Apostle John would later, would later write a pointed statement in, in that regard. In John 1 and 4 and 8, the Bible says, in 1 John rather, 4 and 8, he said, He that loveth not knoweth not God. If you don't love, then you don't even know God because he said God is love. And so if, if you loveth not, then you don't even know the Lord because to know him is to love him and to know him is to love. Amen. Not just love him. And God's love is not just a feeling, but God's love is action. You have to get up and do something about that kind of love. A further lesson in this story highlights a reoccurring theme in his teaching. And that is the fact that Jesus, the fact that love is not about feeling, but it's about doing. It's about doing something about it. You can't say to someone cold, be warm. You can't say to someone hungry, be full. You've got to do something about that. To the cold, you've got to give a coat, a blanket. To the hungry, you've got to give them food. Amen. To those without shoes, you've got to do something about that. You can't just speak something into existence. Amen. Sometimes church work is not all that spiritual. Because sometimes it's just doing. It is absolutely just doing. In fact, Jesus told his disciples in John 13 and 34, a new commandment, I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you and that you love also, that you also love one another. And so discipleship, love has Little to do with liking people. And there's the conflict. Because we want to like before we love. But we're not dating here. We have to love people. And it's, and it's, and it's not always easy to love people that you don't have a lot of, of things in common with. Do you know there's some people in this world that just love nothing more than to sit down and watch bowling on TV? How could you like somebody like that? I mean, as though it's not boring enough live. We're going we're gonna to telecast this around the world. I thought I would go way out to bowling or something that nobody does so nobody would really be that offended. So with great deference to all the bowlers, I guess I should have said that first. But, <laughs> but to those things we don't like, we see no sense in that. 
And so we see no reason to connect to that or to build to that because we don't like that. But Jesus is not talking about liking something. He's talking about loving something that goes deeper than that because the people that we may not like, we should love because they have a soul that's going to spend eternity somewhere. Amen. And so we're, we're all going to have little idiosyncrasies that, that, um, that separate us and define us and make us who we are. And I'm thankful for that. It's a wonderful thing that we're not all of like passion or like, you know, I'm being very serious by that. And that's why it's a wonderful thing in, in an ideal world. And I, I do speak with great deference perhaps to, to broken families here today. But that's why it's a wonderful thing in an ideal balanced world in a family for there to be a mother and a father. Because for the most part, guys, just stay with me. For the most part, if the children needed shoes, they would be black or brown. Right? Mainly black. I'm brown if you just really, really giddy that day. But a mother brings something else to the table. And so we're thankful for that. We're very thankful for that. And so I, I pray God help us that we don't just like, but let love be a part of this. Let love be a part of this. So there's a balance in all of this. There's a balance and there should be a balance that's found in the kingdom of God. And I, I need to hasten here. But discipleship love has, I think, everything to do with acting toward them. And that's certainly what Jesus displayed in his earthly ministry. He acted toward people. He moved. He did something about the plight of their lives. Jesus displayed sacrificial love. Regardless of the worthiness of the object of the action, the good Samaritan acted simply because he had compassion. It wasn't whether or not this man deserved it. He could have picked the fight. We don't know. He could have got everything he had coming. And maybe this was the end result of his, him overstepping and overspeaking. And maybe this was the end result of a fight he picked with the wrong guy. We don't know that. And so here he is. But it doesn't matter why he's there. Now we just need to wipe up the blood and we need to pour some oil and wine in this wound. We've, we've got to do something about this broken man. On the other side of that equation is the priest and the Levite. It seems apparent that they felt no obligation to help. The Samaritan was completely compelled by, mash, by compassion and mercy. He was just compelled to do something about that. I believe that love is so foundational to what we do. Certainly as a church, it should be foundational to what we do. Ephesians 3 and, and, and verses 17, 18, and 19. I'm just going to summarize these verses. It captures a snapshot of, of Paul's prayer to the Ephesian church. And Paul's prayer, <clears throat> Paul's prayer was succinctly this, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith and that you, be, you would be rooted and grounded in love and that know the love of Christ and that you might be filled with all the fullness of God, which is love. Amen. So, the Apostle Paul is praying specifically for the church in Ephesus. 
Amen. That foundation of prayer was just love. Love. Without love, a disciple is not going to be able to comprehend the various dimensions of God. We're never going to be able to experience the dimensions of God. Paul desired for the Ephesians to know the love of Christ that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. The goal, I believe, of every child of God, and I'm going to say the goal of every disciple of God because that is our point today, is that we should find completeness, wholeness in Him. Love is both sacrificial and love is active. We have to get up and do something about that. The Apostle Paul so aptly betrays love, the love of God in Romans 5 and 8. He says that God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still the enemies, amen, he loved us. While we were still alienated, he loved us. The very thing that Jesus asked his disciples to do was to love their enemies. He didn't just tell them to do that. He taught them to do that. He didn't just compel them on their way to do it, but he said, I want you to watch what I do. Watch what these hands do. Watch how I treat them. Watch how I lift them up. Watch what I do and you emulate that. The purpose was to live out and to demonstrate love and, and, and Jesus described the why behind the spirit that was upon him. Why am I here? What have I come to do? What is the mission of Jesus I believe the mission of Jesus can also be described as the mission of the church. And that is found in Luke 4 and 18. Jesus described the why by saying, Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He has sent me to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. That is the mission of the church. Amen. We're not here. I don't want to offend you today, but we're not here so that we can try to get the tallest steep in the community. We're not here so that we can try to impress everybody around us. We are not here so that we can get up here and sing and play and preach and teach and organize to one another and high five ourselves in the lobby when church is over and say, man, we hit it out of the park today. No, no, no. The mission of the church is to preach the gospel to the poor. Amen. To heal those that are broken. Amen. To preach deliverance to those that are in captivity. Amen. Amen those that are spiritually blind or physically blind. We're going to preach a message that will take the scales off of your eyes. Hallelujah. And if you are bruised, we've got a message that can heal your heart. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. That is the priority of love. The Spirit of God rests on those whom God hath anointed. Amen. God has anointed us to do what he has called us to do. In Jesus' case, he preached and healed and liberated the most unlikely people in society, those least deserving. The doctrine of the apostles taught the, the early church that was taught to the early church was abundantly clear. They were to endeavor to reflect the ministry of Jesus Christ. And I think there should be no mistaking the priority of the early church. And I believe that that same priority should be our priority today. Amen. Romans 12 and 10. We're instructed to be kindly affectioned to one another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. Not envying one another. Not jealous of one another. Not trying to tear down somebody else because they may have a little more 
not trying to explain away why they are blessed, but that we are to prefer, we are to lift them, we are to honor them. May God bless them. In Paul's closing remark to the Corinthian church, he he uh, outlined how to attract the, the, the God of love to be with them. He said this in 2 Corinthians 13 and 11. He said, finally, brethren, farewell. I'm signing off. I'm closing out. And these are my parting words. He said, be perfect, which means be complete. He said, he said be of good comfort, be comforted. Be of one mind, be like-minded. Live in peace and the God of love and peace shall be with you. Amen. If you will be complete and if you will find comfort in him and if you will be of one mind and one accord, then the God of love and peace will walk among us. Can I say today, I'm not preaching in San Diego I'm not preaching in Detroit this morning I'm not in Portland, Maine preaching today I'm at Hatchman Apostolic Church can I tell you this morning to this congregation, if we want God to be with us, if we want God to be in what we're doing, amen then we need to be of good comfort we need to be of one mind amen, we need to stand shoulder to shoulder, amen, he said when you do this, the love of God and the peace of God it's going to be with you Amen. Furthermore, a warning was given to the Galatian church to avoid selfishness. He said, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Amen. What powerful, powerful words of hope that we find in him. I don't know about you, but I want the Lord to be in our midst. Amen. I want the Lord to be in what we are doing. Amen. I pray that God will touch us and help that we would understand the power of the Spirit of the Lord and the promises that we have. Amen. They have been given. I said this a few Sundays ago, maybe last Sunday. I said last Sunday, this church, as well as many, many churches, I don't think we have an edge on this, but this church was born out of a, out of a divine promise. Amen. Yes, we were. And so we're not here by accident. And we need the Spirit of the Lord. Amen. We need a Spirit of the Lord to touch us as we have never been touched before. Amen. The DNA of a disciple. Amen. Our priority must be love. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. This has been our, this is, Brother Wayne Williams said this morning, this is our prayer focus this week. Amen. This is our prayer focus this week. If you haven't already received it, I believe it went out yesterday as they generally always go out on Saturdays. But this is our prayer focus this week, the priority of love. I'm asking you as your pastor. I'm not asking you in passing. I'm not being passive when I ask you this. I'm asking you to let that be your focus prayer this week. Amen. Because you might have to step over something you don't like to love it. So give me the strength to do that, God. Give me the strength to do that. And I believe that he'll give us the power to do that in the absence of perhaps uh, a warm and fuzzy feeling and things of that nature that we want always to go along hand in hand. But it doesn't always work that way. But our priority is love. Our priority is love. Let's pray. Lord, I love you today. What an honor it is. Thank you.
This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.